this week on the Backtable Podcast. You know, I, I mean, from the urology perspective, and maybe it's, it's because I have a guilty conscience, but, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we, we rely on IR for a lot of different things. And I think having that collaborative relationship is really important. And, you know, PAE is just a, a small piece of that, right? right? But at the end of the day, it's what, what's best for the patient. And that's the goal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things IR and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host. I'm recording from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Today, we're going to be talking about building a PAE practice in collaboration with urology. Our guests for today are well-known champions of this approach, having together helped establish Chapel Hill as one of the premier centers for this procedure in the U.S. It's an honor to welcome Dr. Matt Rayner from the Department of Urology at UNC and Dr. Ari Isaacson from the Department of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. Thank you both for taking the time to share your experience, especially Matt, who has to be getting sick of talking about PAE with interventional radiologists he doesn't know. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. Thank you. And, you know, as he's, li- he's lying, by the way, <laughs> no, but yeah. I suppose that's one of the, the consequences of success and people want to know how you did it. And fortunately, since, you know, so much of the data supporting PAE has come out of Chapel Hill, we can really glean a lot about your system from the literature and the other educational resources you've given us in particular stream, which has, you know, really evolved from stream PAE to PAE stream. I think it was streams. Recently, uh, and now it's It's really just an entire lifestyle now, I think. But really, the the conference itself is easily the most useful and instructive meeting I've ever attended. And I've also really enjoyed the stream happy hour Zoom meetings, which is where I stole the idea for today's podcast. What can we expect from the stream dream team in the near future? (laughs) You like that? (laughs) That's a good, I like that. That's a good question. Well, you know, Sunny Bagla and I are just, we're, we're just waiting for when we can do a live meeting again. Cause yeah. as, as you know, as having attended previously, that's our thing. I mean, we, we really, our goal is to provide a live experience that is entertaining and is, and is educational. And I don't, I don't think really the virtual format is really where we shine. I mean, the, uh, the happy hours are nice cause they're short and we get a bunch of guys together and it's kind of informal and we talk about a topic which seems to work out. But as far as a more formal virtual format, we're not going to go there with stream. So we'll just kind of hang on and wait till, wait till we got a vaccine and then get back yeah. uh, at, into live stream again. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you about the, the live format because I've seen your rap videos and, and they're <laughs> extraordinary. But no, it's, it's an incredible conference. It's more than a conference. I mean, it's the only meeting I've been to where I you know, walked in to learn something and walked out ready to you know, kind of take a procedure on on my own. And so I really look forward to that coming back as well. I was registered for this year and, you know, and sad and, you know, obviously it was appropriate that, that it got canceled. Another great resource for learning PAE is, of course, the book, the two you published along with Sonny and Dr. Yu. I own it, highly recommend it to all of our listeners seeking a more comprehensive review of the management of symptomatic PPH, cleverly titled prostatic artery embolization. We had to really work hard on that one. We yeah, thought about that for a while. Yeah. Uh, you can get it on Amazon you can get it on Springer.com. I think only the Amazon, I mean, only the Springer one gives you online access for, uh, for the book was really helpful for the anatomy figures. But Matt, I, I found your chapter on like the, the very surgical options for BPH, particularly insightful, really helped me 
navigating discussions with my own urology colleagues to identify, you know, where I could offer something of value. You guys did a great job with that book. Yeah, I think it was also geared to at least provide some talking points for radiologists so they understand what procedures are out there, understand the pros and cons of those procedures. And then, yeah. you know, these patients are also very savvy and well-educated for the most part. And so that they know about these procedures as well. So just to understand all of the options that are available. Yeah. The third most important educational resource for PE that I can think of is, is pretty obvious. And it's the, the podcast that I recorded with Ari and Sonny. Which was, I mean, as I said earlier, it's almost three years ago. It's a big surprise. I thought it was a lot more recent, you know, and I, I guess time flies when you're stuck in a global pandemic. But PA has obviously made some headway on the growth curve since then. But I think a lot of people, myself included, struggle to see that uh, same growth locally. So it's a great opportunity to learn from people who have done this successfully. And, and I'm also fortunate to have had the opportunity to see your model in person. You know, as, I told, uh, as I told Matt, Ari graciously hosted me for a day a few years ago to Man, that was a while ago. What it was, was. Four, four years ago? Yeah, it was about four years ago. I was, yeah. uh, you know, just a young, just yeah. dramatically handsome and talented young attending right that out. That was my team. first thought as soon as I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to see what you guys put together. And, and I, I, I modeled my own approach, like, essentially exactly like your own. And so this is a good opportunity for me. So I think what would be really helpful to start with is have you guys, just, you know, take us through the story of building this. And then show us what it's like, you know, what it looks like there. I mean, it seems like both urology and interventional radiology departments were involved in this from the beginning. All right, why did you decide to get, you know, Matt's help with doing this in the initial trial rather than just doing this on your own? Yeah, so I started this when I was pretty fresh out of fellowship. I was my first year out. I wanted to get involved in researching a procedure that I thought potentially could take off and become something that we do regularly. And it, the funny story was it was between this and renal denervation. And, and I, I wanted to do renal denervation, <laughs> but cardiology had already taken it. So, <laughs> so I, I was like, oh man, I got to do the prostate. I don't know anything about prostate. So I, I decided I was going to try to do an IDE trial. And I knew it was important, especially well, when, you, when you go through the IDE process and you go through the FDA, they're going to want to know that you have a co-investigator from urology. So it wasn't like I chose to do that. I was kind of, that was necessary, but I was fortunate. I, I, I forget, I, I think I, I knew Matt because I, I was a resident and fellow and I had kind of, you know, interacted with him at times and he seemed, he seemed like a nice guy. And I, you know, I went up to him at one point and I just said, would you be interested in, uh, you know, being a co-investigator on this trial if I, if I put this together? And he was very gracious and uh, said he was open to it. And uh, that's, that's kind of how it started. I don't know, Matt, what, what was your point of view? Maybe you have a theory was completely different. No, it was pretty similar. I think, uh, you know, for years we've had fortunate, we've been fortunate to have a collaborative relationship with IR at UNC and our clinics are literally right across the hall from each other. So proximity helps. And, you know, we've always been about how can we better evaluate new technologies and sort of stay at the forefront. Uh, of evaluating these things. And it just, honestly, it wasn't too much work for us on our part. That was one of my tricks. I was like, I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to do anything. I'll just ask him if he'll put his name on it and do a few things here and there. And, and that worked out. Yeah, do some Cystos and yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much it. And it, it worked out and, and it took off from there. And, you know, we've been, what, it's been six or seven years now. Yep. So it's been, it's been a great relationship. Wow. I'm curious how, you know, 
your model for offering this change? So how did it evolve from there or some of the changes and, and how did the, the two departments, you know, basically, uh, you know, maintain their own interest in this, you know, so that both parties are, are, are getting to contribute to patient care in the way they wanted to. Well, you know, I'll say from the urology point of view, there was a little bit of angst up front from some of my department. Hey, Max, can I tell a quick story here? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Maybe this is what you're referring to. I don't know. I I think our very first case we did, we kind of hired my mind. We we like took an inpatient hostage. (laughs) We had an inpatient who was an uh, elderly kind of demented uh, man and his son was there who was his power of attorney or was, was signing all the forms for him and making the decisions. And we said to his son, yeah, this, this man was in urinary retention and had a Foley. And we said to him, well, we have this brand new procedure that we're just starting out trying. And we, you know, we potentially could get him so that he doesn't need to urinate anymore. He doesn't need a, a Foley. To <laughs> and, and so the son was like, well, this, the Foley is a big pain in the butt for him at his nursing home where he's at. And, and he's like, if you think you can do that, then yeah, you have my permission to do it. So so we, you know, we, we got him and we brought him down and we did the procedure on him. And I, I don't know, maybe we should do this, like take turns here, Matt. So that, so we did that. And then before, what happened after that on your guys end, Matt? Well, I'll just say that a member of our department <laughs> found out about it. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> was not thrilled to hear what had happened. And it basically devolved from there. It was not a pretty scene. <laughs> Slide. <laughs> fast forward and so, so i'll tell you what happened next on my end so, so i get a uh i get like a an email or something from our chair saying that someone from urology has found out we did this and was was not happy about it and our chair was kind of giving me that feedback and fortunately i did this with my division chief at the time so it wasn't just me standing on my own but at, from, from at that point, we realized hmm, maybe we overstepped our bounds a little bit on this one. But, you know, we had to get the first case done. You always have to get your first yeah, case. Totally. So the irony or the, or the interesting part to me is, yeah, fa- we're going to fast forward now. What, are you gonna, what were you going to say, Matt? Fast forward to what? No, I was going to say fast forward to now. And, you know, yeah. we have a procedure that we know works. And to be honest, you know, this is something that I say at all these meetings is that Everybody's worried about competition, but the truth is, it's actually increased our BPH business, this collaboration. So it's been fruitful for both sides. Yeah. So what I was going to say was <laughs> fast forward to, to, to just, I don't know, maybe about a year ago when the procedure link was on the urology website, adjacent to the, he- the picture of the person who was very unhappy about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> When we first did it seven years ago. So yeah, like Matt said, we're we're fortunate. I don't know that was the best way to go about getting the first case, but I was just acting under my division chief's uh, advice. (laughs) So I can't take any real credit for it, but, but you got to get your first case done somehow. And, um, and I think, you know, we did that the first time and then we said, you know, we can do this, we can do a trial. And so then we kind of went about it the right way, which is, you know, putting a trial together and doing it with all the the right regulatory uh, things in place. But like Matt said, you know, a lot of people have come from outside of our catchment and UNC to come get this procedure. And a lot of them have ended up becoming patients of UNC urology who, who weren't previously. And so it has, yeah, it has benefited both of us. Yep. 
So what does it look like now when you guys do this? I mean, we're an average patient to come through. What's the the process like? Yeah, so I would say at this point, I think it's about, I would say I get about 60 per, 60% of patients are referred from UNC Urology and the other 40 are self-referred from outside. And so it's, it's great. I mean, this is what I always dreamed about was to have patients coming to me from UNC Urology who've already had the workup done for BPH and have all the notes in our <laughs> medical record system. Because previously, you know, I'm having to get medical records from all over the country. But this, it's great just to have them there and, and know that they've been worked up and, and they're ready to, to have a procedure done. And so for those patients, they come and, and they see me for the PAE. I, I see them in clinic prior to doing the case. And then their next follow-up is with Matt back in urology six weeks or so after the procedure. And so that works out really well. And, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's several, several members of the urology department now have, who have sent patients over for this procedure. That's cool. I mean, it, I, what I really liked about your system is that I, I think it still is ensuring that these patients are getting the best care. I mean, you know, anybody who's offering this procedure from our end should be studying it and understanding the pathophysiology and medical management and everything else. But, you know, the, the urologists are the ones who should be managing a lot of BPH care. I don't have any business really doing Euroflow in my office. I know some people are. It's, for me, it's not uh, the right fit. I just feel more comfortable introducing this in collaboration because, it, you know, we're, we're working with the experts. There's not another specialty that understands this disease better. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always been my mentality is I'm not here to be the urologist. I'm just here to do this procedure. Now I've had, you know, some people in IR will kind of take a stance against that kind of statement where they say, well, you need to have more ownership of your patient. But, you know, that's to me, that's not best for the patient. What's best for the patient is to go to urology to be worked up for BPH and then to be followed. And, and I think the reason that it's, it's important for me to, for, to send the patient back to urology afterwards is, you know, what if, what if the, what if PAE doesn't work for them? You know, I, I quote an efficacy rate of about 80%, right? So 20%, and I, I'm a little conservative there, but I think, you know, I'm, I'd rather be conservative than, than over, than overstate the efficacy. So, you know, if 20% of people at four months say are still having urinary symptoms that where they want to have another procedure done, well, who should they talk to about that? Should they talk to me or should they talk to a urologist who does those procedures? So that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the motivation. The other thing is that, like you said, they have the Euroflow machine. They could do the Cisto if need be, you know, all they, they have all the stuff. So for me, the best patient care is for urology to evaluate them before I see them and then to evaluate them afterwards. Yeah. Matt, has this system worked well for you? Any particular challenges or anything that, you know, it, that you guys have run into trouble with? No, we've not run into any trouble at all. I would say that at the beginning of this experience, it's interesting to sort of see what type of patient came through. You know, a lot of patients who did their own research, they can be particularly challenging, I'll say, in some sure. respects. But now that I think, you know, PAE has become much more part of the sort of normal lingo with patients that we talk about uh, BPH treatment options, at least at UNC, and it's, I mean, it's almost second nature. You know, I treat a lot of kidney cancer as well. And it's almost like a discussion that I would give with a patient for cryoablation. Same thing. Sure. You know, that this is a, a procedure in collaboration with IR that is an option. So let's talk about it. 
So that, you know, I think Ari, you said probably 60% of your patients are coming from referrals from the urology department. Matt, are, are most of those patients who are coming from your office, the ones that come in, it's like, you know, this is what I want to have, you know, this is the procedure that, that I want. Are there specific patients that, you know, that you recommend this for? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, initially, no, it was, it was actually men who were seeking out PAE and then you know, Ari was just sending them to me just to, I don't know, play nice, maybe. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, those men were specifically seeking out PAE because of the, you know, lack of sexual side effects and, and, and all that goes with PAE. But now it's, you know, I talk about PAE with basically any patient who is considering an intervention for BPH. Okay. And Yes, there are specific patients that come to mind or a specific type of patient, those men who may be on anticoagulation and maybe it's a little riskier for them to stop the anticoagulation for a procedure, especially those men with large prostates, 100 grams or greater, you know, that we're talking more about a more challenging homium laser enucleation procedure yeah. or simple prostatectomy, then definitely PAE is in the ballpark for those patients. And I, you know, I, I can't remember who brought it up. It may have even been you on the Zoom conference that, you know, for some of these patients with a, with a massive, like enormous prostate, you know, the, the PAE, we may be, you know, shrinking them down enough to improve symptoms, but we may also be shrinking them down enough so that they are finally small enough to get a term. I mean, do you see that frequently? So interestingly, we haven't seen it frequently where these men with very large prostates have a PAE and then you know, progressed in needing something else done. Yes, it does happen. I, I, I think I saw one patient a week ago that was, was like that. But f honestly, for the most part, when I see them three months later or six weeks later, they're, they're doing really well. And, you know, I think there are still some question marks maybe about the duration of, of the effect. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, we've got patients out now over five years who have been doing fine. So I think it, time will tell with that. To shift gears a little bit and, uh, and, and talk about, you know, things that we could do, basically advice you could give to, to people trying to, to build a program from scratch. You know, one of the first questions I was going to ask is why do it in collaboration? But I, I think we have, have kind of gone through that. I mean, I think we, I think I've made my piece on that and you guys have as well. So I'm now doing it myself for the second time. I, I you know, I had some mistakes that I made the first time I did it in my first job. And, and I think one of my failures was in just directing this, you know, with, for one doctor at a time, but also just kind of pitching this as something that could work for anybody, you know, in terms of making the pitch to urology, how would you guys recommend doing it? You know, I mean, is this something that you would pitch a whole practice or just to individual providers? So I would say, I mean, I, I think it kind of depends, you know, on the group that you're talking to, but I would target the, um, you know, the folks that do a lot of BPH at a practice. So, so you know, again, you know, you're talking about a private, if you work in private practice and you're going to other private practices, or if you're in an academic center and you want to get your own urology group more involved, but I would, I would seek out the guys who do a lot of BPH. And I, the way I pitch this is this, that I, you know, here's this procedure. It's not going to be the right procedure for everyone. In fact, it's probably only right for a minority of the patients that you see, but it definitely is right for some of them. And it, it has some advantages. Like Matt was saying, you know, you, you're likely to get to get in less trouble trying to do bigger prostates with people that are on anticoagulation because, you know, if whatever procedure you do, you're probably going to end up with more hemorrhaging than you'd like and maybe even transfusion and maybe even prolonged hospital stay. 
So, I, I mean, there's, this procedure has, has some benefits. And so I would, I would pitch it like that. You know, this procedure fits in a, in a certain slot in the algorithm for the treatment of, of BPH. And I'd like to be able to treat those patients. And I think when you think about it, you know, from a, from a patient point of view and from best patient care, it makes sense. Granted, you know, we still have the little issue of the AUA guidelines, but I think, you know, I think you <laughs> did that was coming up. Yeah. But, I, <laughs> but I, I think you can, you know, I think not much say talk around that, but I think you can, you can justify it even despite the guidelines. So, so I, I think to answer your question, I would, I would either go one per, to, to an individual at a time who does BPH or try to get several people in a room over a lunch period where, you, you know, you bring them some food and show them a few slides and then just talk about what the procedure is. But I think the most important thing, and, and you kind of mentioned it, Mike, is not, is not to say this is, you know, this is the new, this, this is going to take over for everything else, you know. This is going to take over for Resume and for Eurolift and for Terp and all. But to say that this is a great procedure for a minority of patients that you're going to see, right. and I'd love for you to send them to me to do it. That's what I've done the second time is, is say, you know, this is great for patients who are bleeding, patients on anticoagulant, giant mm-hmm. prostate. But I actually have run into trouble, you know, with the AUA thing. I, I, hadn't, I told Aaron, I hadn't decided if I was going to bring that up or not because, you know, I've, I've gotten a, a urologist to kindly give us his time and join us. I don't want to make this any kind of bashing session. But, I, you know, one of the first people I talked to today, I mean, Matt, I, Matt's it, used to it, by the way. I mean, we've done this so many times. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But we've talked, I've talked about it with him, but, you know, one of the, the first urologists I talked to here, I, I brought it up. I was like, look, you know, just the giant prostate, the ones that you're having trouble with, I would love to help. And it's like, well, you know, the AUA guidelines don't really support it much. And so for now, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of hold off. And I, I've, I've kind of struggled with the best way to approach that, you know, what do you guys think is the best way to manage that? I mean, you said wait. I mean, <laughs> Matt, why don't you why don't you comment on that? <laughs> yeah, you know that's a tough one because uh, I mean, my retort to that is the guidelines are just that they're just guidelines. They are they are are not practiced standards. I would say. Yeah. And you know, when we get particular about these guidelines, they are evaluating data from before September of 2019, and so. You know, a couple of the important papers really supporting PAE w- weren't included. Right. And I think with time, those guidelines will change. I mean, it took years and years for hematuria guidelines to change. It's just the way uh, the AUA works uh, with how they evaluate data. So, you know, in the strictest sense, I think if a urologist is really stating, look, I'm not going to do it if the AUA guidelines don't support it. I, yeah, I think it's I fair. I, 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 yeah, I, I, don't, I don't fault them on that at all. But really, in general, I mean, I, I think one of the, the hardest things that I've dealt with and try to do this is is finding the right the right way to get my urology colleagues to buy into this, you know. And and I, I think I could do a better job at at establishing this as it's not so much competition, but it's a way to provide something to more challenging patients. Either you have any input on that in terms of really how to get both departments to buy in. Hey, Mike, let me, let me step back for one sec before I answer okay. that. Cause, cause I, I, I would, this is what I would recommend you do for the, for the urologist who gave you kind of the guidelines answer. I would get the two papers that were not included on the guidelines or, or weren't reviewed for this current guidelines. And so that's the, the Spanish RCT that just came yeah. out that showed that actually PAE came out a little bit better than TERP. And then also the uh, PAE versus sham study from Portugal. And I think, like Matt said, those are two pretty important studies and really add to the data. And I would go back to them and say, yeah, I know these guidelines came out, but like, 
Matt said, they, they, they didn't look at these papers when they made the guidelines. And here's two additional papers. And so now we're up to four RCTs and this as well as against Terp and as well as this RCT versus against Sham. You know, and, and I would just say, you know, I, I think people are reasonable. It may be that it's more of a, a CYA situation for them, which if it is, then, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to overcome because, because, yeah. you know, man, we all, we're all scared of, of that day in court when someone says you went against the guidelines and had a bad outcome. But, but I would at least appeal to him with, with the data that wasn't included in that. I did. I sent the Spanish one and he just said yeah. the other one. Yeah. Sorry. So let's go back oh, to your other good. question. Yeah. <laughs> so what was that other question? Again? It's basically, you know, approaching this in the right way to get your, your urology colleagues to, to basically buy in, to, to be on board with this. How to do it? Basically, I mean, how would you yeah. approach it? You know, I mean, yeah. what, what? Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you what I did at, at our place and, and I, I think this is the right way to go about it is to basically, again, don't overstate the efficacy, you know, target who's a good patient. Another, another big way to get in the door is hematuria. Because even the guidelines can't keep you yeah. from, from, from doing a hematuria case. So, you know, I definitely pitched the hematuria because Matt and I have had this conversation a bunch. There really isn't a competitive procedure on the urology side for hematuria, nor is there a solution that they're too thrilled about. So it's actually, you're, you're actually doing them a service by doing a PAE and, and getting a patient out of the hospital if he's, in, if he's admitted for prostatic hematuria. So hematuria is a, a, a big entryway. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, I was fortunate that they were open to me coming and giving talks. I gave uh, a morning talk and then just recently another grand rounds. And so, you know, giving it's, it's, it's I think it's much easier to make an argument if you're, if you're, if you're given the platform that you can give a talk and show, and show the evidence. Yeah. And I will say that the, you know, the, the, Ari's point about giving talks has been really great for us, but also from a training point of view with our residents, because okay. now all of our residents come through and are very familiar with PAE, uh, you know, and so when they go out into practice, they are, they will likely be expecting to interact with IR on many things, but one of them, including PAE. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. And, and, and Ari, you know, your point about Going for the patient with hematuria is, you know, it's well taken for me, you know, because the, the urologists I work with here, I mean, their practices are offering uh, basically the whole spectrum of uh, minimally invasive surgical therapies. And so it's been kind of challenging to find where PAE is going to fit in. It's like, oh, you know, we have, uh, what about huge prostates? It's like, well, we have aquablations. Like, oh, well, what about, you know. Well, know, then you should do embolization before the aquablation. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. That's your winner right there. Uh, there you go. I like it. So one other question I have is, is your recommendations for, for managing self-referred patients. I know, I know how you guys are doing it now, but you know, for somebody who, you know, calls your department and wants a, you know, an appointment for PAE, do they, do they see Matt first or do they come to you? How does that work? Yeah. So it kind of depends where they live and you know, what their urologic care history is. So if one thing I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really staunch about is that I, I really want every patient to see a urologist and have a BPH workup before they come and see me. Yeah. It's really important to know that their lower urinary tract symptoms are secondary to bladder outlet obstruction from BPH. If they're not, then we're, I'm not going to do any good for them. So it's important for that to happen. And then in addition, there's, there's other little things like sometimes they're going to need a little more of a prostate cancer workup, or they're going to need a cysto to make sure that the blood that they're having is from their prostate and not from a, a bladder lesion. So, you know, it's, that's, that's one thing. So, so if they're seeing a urologist wherever they live, and sometimes they're coming from far away, 
then I'll just get their records from the urologist where they are. If they're local, and the funny thing is sometimes they tell me, and this isn't that uncommon, is they say, well, the urologist I'm seeing, I don't really feel comfortable going back to them if I have a PAE because they were really down on it. And I think they <laughs> won't, won't give me, either they told me they won't treat me if I'd have it, or they won't be fair to me as far as, as care goes afterwards. So there have been several times or more than several that, that patients in our area have said that to me. And I said, well, I have great urologists I work with. In fact, there's one individual who I've partnered with ever since the beginning, and he knows PAE almost as well as I do. He's heard me give my talk, oh, maybe 15 times. Um, and so, uh, so, and he, he'd be glad to see you. And, um, and so that's, that's happened several times, but, but I, I make sure everyone's seen a urologist ahead of time. And if they're not comfortable with their urologist and their local, I will, you know, refer them over to UNC Urology. One more thing I wanted to address is, is how you guys have approached, especially on urinary marketing for this procedure. You know, I, when I came to my current practice, I was the only one who had any experience doing this. And some of the groups like, oh, you know, we want to start marketing for you. We want you to go on a radio show and talk about this. And, and I said, no, I said, I want to wait until I have kind of addressed this with my local urologist and, and let them know this is something I kind of want to do. How do you guys manage it? Uh, I guess you probably don't have to. <laughs> yeah, so, so, well, our best I'm marketing. Embarrassed. No, no, I have to say our best marketing has been word of mouth from patient, from previous patients. Uh, so there's several ways that patients find us. We have a pretty good web presence that we started back when we did our clinical trials and kind of grown since then. And I think as far as search engine optimization, I haven't really done anything with that, but it, I think our site comes up pretty early when you search for PAE. And so a bunch of pa patients have found us that way. Uh, and then the other, the other way that I hear about a lot is that there are these patient forums out there where, especially revolving around BPH, there's a, they seem to be really popular where men talk about all the different possibilities and the really bad experience they had and the horrible doc they saw. I've had a few of those written <laughs> about me, but, but they, but they share their experiences. And so for the most part, I have to say, I've really tried to make the patient experience great. And I know, I, you know, I have every confidence in Matt when he sees them that he's going to make them, you know, he, he feel good about what they're choosing. So I've had a lot of patients post about their experience at UNC and then a lot of patients send their friends. The most common situation is they're out with their golf foursome and they say, oh, uh, I had my PAE done in UNC. And they said, what's PAE? And they go from there. And then the next thing I know, I got a call or two from the other guys in the, in the foursome to have a PAE done. Yeah, I'd say from my experience too, I think word of mouth has been one of the biggest drivers of growth, at least at UNC. But I think we are also, I think our group is very fair about how we offer different options for, for BPH and PAE is right up there. You know, I think any of my partners, when they're discussing intervention for BPH, PAE comes up. Okay. Guys, what else am I missing here that, that I haven't covered that you think is important to discuss in terms of, of building these practices together? I, so from my point of view, I would say the, the argument about sort of self-marketing PAE is, is an interesting one. And I think a good one. I mean, I think there are urologists and urology practices out there who are going to, going to be very maybe challenging to work with in promoting PAE. Sure. And so, uh, you know, hearing the argument about direct to consumer marketing for PAE is, is an interesting one. And, you know, from the urology perspective, I, I, I don't know, maybe I would 
feel a little angry or about it perhaps because I feel like reasonably I think but but you know from the flip side from the IR perspective if you have a difficult to work with group I think that is an option maybe just not the best option yeah (laughs) Yeah. well and I think it would make it kind of challenging too if if I start doing that and then I you know I, I get this patient who calls my clinic and wants to see me it makes it harder I think for me to then call the urology group and I was like, oh, but I, I, can you still see him anyway? You know, I think it kind of puts a wrench in the whole collaborative manner of doing this. Definitely. I mean, I think the collaboration is the way to go. And I think with time, it's going to become, you know, second nature, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Mike, you know, if you make every attempt to collaborate and you're just not getting, you know, that there's no sense of collegiality or you're just getting blocked each time you try. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to just drop it all together. So, I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I think there's, I, th- I think as long as you try first and make every effort to say, I want to work with you guys, I think this could be beneficial to us both for these reasons. And, and that's another thing. Maybe we need to talk a little bit more about that because Matt mentioned it very in the, early on when we, in this, in this podcast, but there is a financial positive potentially for you doing PAE for patients. There's, there's a group of patients that may do PAE that might not do any other procedure, right? And there's going to be more valuations and potential procedures, you know, smaller procedures associated uh, with PAE, such as transrectal ultrasound or cystoscopy that the urology group is going to perform that's going to bring in revenue for them. So, I, I mean, I, I think it may, it may be one thing if they don't want to refer any of their patients to you, but I, but as long as you're, you know, I I don't think they have any right to be angry so much if you've made every effort and you've made the arguments of why it could be positive for both of you. And then I I think you still, I think you still have to try to refer those patients or send those patients back for evaluation for them to show that you're, you know, even if they're not going to play with you as you know, you're, you're, you're going to play with them. You're, you're, you're going to be here, you're here to be a team player and to do what's best for the patients. And hopefully that, that, you know, takes after a while. And, and, you know, like the, our story, even, even our story with Matt, Matt, someone was angry in the beginning, right? So you, you deserved it. It sounds like, it wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, and, and that was more of a hypothetical for me. I, you know, I have yeah. this challenge is a lot more natural. The, the group here is they're, they're really good. They've been very receptive at, at, we haven't really gotten that far with it yet, but I've only been here a few months. What else, guys? Anything else I, I failed to cover? One last thing is, you know, from the urology perspective, and maybe it's, it's because I have a guilty conscience, but, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we, we rely on IR for a lot of different things. And I think having that collaborative relationship is really important. And, you know, PAE is just a, a small piece of that, right? right? But at the end of the day, it's what, what's best for the patient. And that's the goal. No, I, I think you're right. I, I totally agree. You know, this is just, you know, it, our specialties it work uniquely well and closely together because a lot of what we do kind of overlaps. But I think that we both have things that we can offer that it's just easier to do when we do them in collaboration. And so, you know, that's, that's why I think it's so important, you know, not just for me, but for anybody trying to do this, you know, go about this appropriately. It, it shouldn't be a competition because these are people that we work with, you know, all over the place in the hospital. Absolutely. You know, one more thing I think we didn't kind of comment on was, and I think it's really important when you're thinking about building your program, 
is that it's really like you were saying, Mike, when you were talking about the textbook we made, I think it's really vital that if, if an IR is going to start doing PAE, that he really takes the time to learn about the disease. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that was the reason I wanted to put all those, you know, the, the textbook starts with four urology chapters that's straight urology, Matt edited all of them. And I, that was the reason I wanted to put those in the book first. I know that people buying the book are going to be rearing to look at the anatomy pictures in the back and the atlas and, and look at the technique chapter and all that. But it's super important to learn about the disease and be able to converse with the urologist in an educated way so that they know you're not just messing around, like you're not just dabbling in this. This is something you're serious about and that you understand what the alternatives are and you understand why PAE might pose an advantage. For example, and you, what you were saying, <laughs> I kind of cringed when you said it, when you talked about the really large patients undergoing aqua ablation, like why it, you know, that potentially could lead to hemorrhage in the current state of aqua ablation and why PAE might be helpful, even, you know, like Matt said, in conjunction with potentially more as a replacement. But, but if you know, you know, the ins and outs of the other procedures and, and why they're, and when they're indicated, it's a lot uh, better to make a convincing argument to a urologist that you're, you're doing this for the right reasons for the patient. Right on. Well, guys, thank you both for taking the time to do this on a Sunday. I, I really, I'm, I'm grateful for your time and your perspective. Um, anything else you want to hear? Can you rap for us? <laughs> Please no. Please no. No, no, can't do it. <laughs> no. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Can you take us out with the back table wrap? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> On the back table, the best in podcasts like Larry King is the cable. Legends in the biz like Gay Sock, what's the fable? Spewing vascular pearls like only they're able. IRIC, vascular, all in one, coming together in the lab to get the job done. Minimally invasive, therapeutic and creative. Q2 Meet podcast with contact clearly stated worldwide, global reach. They practice what they preach, international guests with wisdom to teach. So subscribe now, you know just what to do, or else you might get Twitter climbed by Dr. Bob Reuse.